Gen Z thinks retirement is overrated and they're saving accordingly. This is The Focus Group. They're all business, except when they're not. It's The Focus Group with Tim Bennett and John Nash. Welcome to The Focus Group. John Nash here with my good friend and co-host, Tim Bennett. Focusgroupradio.com is the URL for our website. And if you go there, you'll find out all about us, including our Tuesday podcast, TFG Unbuttoned. And you'll learn about our partners and sponsors. And on The Focus Group, that would be Deep Discount. Happy to have them with us. And we'll be visiting with them a little bit later in the show. So welcome to November, everybody. If you thought the year was flying by at um, light speed, you weren't wrong. <laughs> I can't believe we're like, what? It's down to like double digits, right, Tim? It's like I was in the shower thinking about or... Christmas, trying to think about, do I have to Christmas shop and who do I have to buy for? Mm-hmm. You, well, you, you and I usually tackle some year? of that right after uh, Thanksgiving, right? Yeah, but I was trying to figure it out. I was like, hmm. I've got some young great nephews that uh, I'll certainly toys. Be, yeah, get, you know, buy for, but but they all have plenty of toys. I mean, all their parents say they got plenty of toys, so I don't I don't know. Maybe books. I don't know. I'll have to I remember say. one I, year someone gave me a stock certificate to Hershey. Hershey Foods or Hershey Hershey chocolate. Really? Still it's have like it? a dollar a share or something like that. I thought, oh, I'm going to be rich someday. <laughs> Do you still have it? Yeah, I know. I got rid of it because I realized I wasn't going to get rich off that. And then my granddad used to give us coins. We love coins. We used yeah. to get half dollars and silver dollars. I thought of that idea. I thought of actually a little piggy bank with a with bunch of pennies and stuff in it. You know, as a kid, you don't really know the value between a penny and a, and a quarter, no. right? Or maybe you do. No, but all you knew is what you could buy at the penny candy counter, right? Yeah. So maybe I'll, maybe I'll do something like that. I'll have to see. Speaking of penny candy, I was at the store the other day, and I had a hilarious exchange with the the woman who ran the checkout at the Hannaford's. And Bazooka, remember Bazooka? Yeah. Remember it was individual. It would, and there was a comic inside. We've talked about this before. Little waxy wrap. It would break. It could break your teeth. It was so hard. If you didn't, (laughs) if you didn't let that let that thing sit in your mouth for a little while, just to soften up. So now Bazooka comes like Trident or other gums. It comes like in a. you can get like a pack of bazooka. Right. Where you are actually like, and I remember I hold, held it up and I said to the woman, I don't remember it looking like this. She starts laughing and we all had, and another cashier joined in. Everybody was going down memory lane, fireballs, wax lips. Remember the bottles with the fluid oh, yeah. in it? You'd bite the, t- ugh, bite bite the, the top off. And we were, and it was just a fun kind of a conversation. And then one woman said, she goes, well, I'll tell you this much, whatever we're all talking about, it doesn't cost a penny no more. <laughs> No. There's a store outside of Philadelphia called Freeman's, I believe it is. Which Candy um, store? Yeah, and they still have all, well, it's a wholesaler, but you can they sell retail. And it's all, any sort of penny candy stuff that you remember uh, from back in the day. Of course, you're exactly right, it's not a penny. But um, they have all that sort of stuff, the wax lips, the candy cigarettes, the... You always have one blow through the candy things. cigarette yeah. to get the, the sugar out to make it look like smoke. You know, the fun dip. Um, mm-hmm. And then all the old candy, hard candies and, and uh, jelly candies and stuff you remember as a kid. I like going in there. Uh, they also have the, the blackjack gum, the teaberry oh, gum. The blackjack gum, I remember that. The lavender candy. They got a lot yep. of stuff there. Yeah. So I, I go in there. I used to go in and spend way too much because I would go down the nostalgia route or something. But um, <laughs> Which is what they, they get you on that, right? Yeah. But I always thought it would be interesting to 
Well, I don't know. There's, you, you know, living at the beach, there's candy stores all over the place. Yeah, you do. But I go in there, and it's not the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's you not, and I went to a couple. It was like, no, nah, it's not the same. Yeah, that's it's uh, odd stuff. Some odd stuff, I think. All right, so another question, media question. Have you watched The Golden Bachelor at all? No. Okay, so Lauren, our friend Lauren, has like fallen in love with The Golden Bachelor, and and she said, you guys got to watch it. So I sat Bob down and said, Lauren wants us to watch The Golden Bachelor. Here's what I'll say. I used to, I've seen The Bachelor like once or like one of the series once or twice. It's a long-running show. Bob instantly was against it because his theory is you don't meet the love of your life on a game show with 16 people. And I'm like, okay, well, for many of us, we didn't meet the love of your life on a game show, but this is a show. (laughs) So I accept the premise. I actually found it to be watchable because I kind of related to the Golden Bachelor. Now he's 71, he's older than us. But I related to the fact that he was older and all the women were older and all the conversations, everything was different. But then it wasn't that different because it ends up being who's going to get his attention. And I, 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 they show the look ahead, you know, like what's coming and there's tears and he's going to break someone's heart. So I may have to watch more of it, but not with Bob. He, he put his foot down. He's like, no golden bachelor for me. Well, they're going to end up getting, does he marry one of them at the end? I think he, he, think he will end up with someone, yeah. See, I, I, I thought all those shows are absurd um but i so i haven't watched them and maybe i should give them a chance but i'm the same way with as bob is i don't think you go you go into the show knowing that at the end of the show you're going to pick someone you're going to marry mm-hmm. okay i mean i I've, I've listened to some of them they they've gotten married i think a lot of them end in divorce no surprise yeah. but um i guess if you just wanted to get on the show and do something it, it's like bachelor and big brother and all those shows They're, they all become a formula now they, they, well, once, you, once they've done them once, they all become a formula. Like so Survivor. How many weeks do you think they, they, they shoot this over? <sighs> you know it's got to be concentrated because of money, right? Probably over, I don't know, probably over four or five weeks. You know, when, that, you, when I was on that reality show, it was eight weeks. It was eight. You had two months. But okay. they would do film three or four times a week. So they would get, you know, have plenty of... And they made sure they got you when you were not happy. Exactly. Well, that's the whole point, right? When it, and it, it, you know, reality is not reality, right? As we know, yeah. putting me in size medium clothes I haven't worn since fifth grade. So um, <laughs> to make you look, make me look overly big, overly yeah. fat, like like I would wear a medium shirt with my belly hanging out and going to the store. Like that's not what I do. Or that I was giving Trixie beer, feeding her beer. So for they the listeners, I did a reality pilot for it. it was called "You're You're So Fat and So Is Your Dog." <laughs> And um, that was the working title. And I actually did well. I lost 23 pounds in the f- six weeks or whatever it was that I was on the actual strict diet. And Trixie lost weight, too. So that was the whole premise was to get this trainer and vet and the whole deal, and we were going to lose weight. But the other woman who was on the show, she ended up gaining weight. She was going out late at night to McDonald's and uh, gorging herself on fast food. She ended up gaining eight pounds, I think. So the show didn't get picked up. But um, <laughs> But you did your experience. part. Yeah, you it was quite part. the experience. So, but but you can see where I mean, you're coached what to say, no, you know, and they they try to create conflict, and you know, because nobody wants to see a happy show, right? You want a conflict, you want to fight, well, I, you want the table flipped I agree. over. I agree, and I think there's going to be some tears and conflict ahead on the Golden Bachelor. <laughs> I'm going to definitely watch a tears couple and more conflict. episodes. Oh yeah, because that's the way it works. But 
I, I think I related more to them because they were older and they, they expressed a lot of things that we think about. How do you meet somebody? And a lot of these people had spouses who had passed away. Some were divorced. So it was like, you know, like this guy, the Golden Bachelor, his wife, who he was, a, his high school sweetheart, she passed away uh, from a bad bacterial infection right. a little while ago. So that's nothing you expect. It was their retirement, their golden years, right? So I think Lauren's a lot like Steve, you know, Steve at ABC TV. He consumes all media. And, Steve does. Um, and yeah. Lauren, I think Lauren does too, because that's their business and they want to know what's out there and what's going on. So I could see where, um, you know, you would, you would fall into it. And like you said, if it becomes enjoyable, I, I, I'm like Bob, I'm immediately making the impression I'm not going to watch it. I'm not interested. And then, you know, oh, he, then I won't. It's like the thing I was talking to you about before, about Las Vegas. He has, there's fact and there's fiction. <laughs> now, the one thing that he will watch, because we think it's an interesting look at being young and being managed and having to deal with problems is below decks. Yes, I watched that, and then I just stopped. I stopped like three years ago. We've well, got the why. conceit of the whole thing. It was a crew. It's a yeah. it's guests. It's the charter. It's a lot of people with money. The big tips. I mean, but some we we can we could watch that and have it on the background because it's usually the same thing. There's a conflict right. here. Someone's not doing their job. Someone's drunk. Yeah. Someone's trying yeah. to get in bed with somebody. Yeah. Captain Lee's going to step in and be the father to all of them and teach them a few moral lessons. You know that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, would you formula. do a reality show? I, if I could do, would I do a reality show? Would yeah. I be on one? Or yeah, I guess I would. If I, I, but like you, I think you walked into it with one thing, and I, I remember you called me from your bathroom once. And you were like, "This has got to stop." <laughs> yeah, that's when they shut production down that day. I didn't realize it was still mic'd. It was like thirty people, and I was going off with you on it like this. I can't <laughs> believe this, and then they're banging on the door. Uh, Tim, Tim, we can hear you. The the director goes, "I think we're done for the day." I think. <laughs> we're done for the well, day. Well, that's the day they kept trying to make Trixie run down the steps and fall. You know, there was a, and thank God she didn't get hurt, but they wanted to make it look like she was food. Too heavy to do it. Right. And also food focused. And so they would lock her up in the bedroom and then call her, call her, call her and get her hyped up and then open the door. She'd come flying down and, you know, fall off the steps and run to her food bowl because they were calling her from in there. And I, after I know, a few Tim, times I, I said, see, you know, she's yeah. going to break her leg. So, um, I can see why this was. We would. This is not your hit parade. All right. Um, if you are new to our show, then you just got the first part where we catch up with each other. Uh, we do a segment called "Caught Our Eye." We bring news items that both of us uh, found interesting. We rarely get the same ones, by the way. Uh, we visit with Deep Discount, our partner here on the Focus Group. Take a quick break. Business birthday, the only show in the universe that does that. And this week's shop talk is an interesting article about how Gen Z isn't putting too much stock in retirement and therefore they're not putting too much stock in the idea of retirement savings or at least the way we were all taught to uh, methodically put away a huge percentage of our income so without further ado mr bennett what caught your eye what caught your eye here's what tim and john found well interestingly our uh i i found a north korean um we yeah, usually do an update from pyongyang but um we haven't done one in a while, but I did find this one interesting. The, uh, the headline out of North Korea says, North Korea is closing diplomatic missions around the world. And the subhead is, China and Russia are the only friends it needs. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. So, the, um, so this was reported through NPR and a bunch of other places. And they, so everyone knows the Hermit Kingdom and the, the kind of goose-stepping capital of the world in North Korea. 
that um, they've decided that in order to save some money, now they're blaming it on the United States because they're blaming it on UN sanctions and uh, they want to kind of streamline their diplomatic uh, missions across the world. They have, surprisingly, I think, they have relationships with 159 different countries around the world, diplomatic relations, but they've only got uh, about 50 missions or embassies around the world. So not that many compared to how many, uh, how many countries they have relations with. And they said most of their missions are in the former Eastern Bloc countries and non-aligned states. And they gave an example. They said, for instance, it's UK embassy. Is, uh, they work out of a semi-detached house in, in uh, kind of a poor Lon- a London neighborhood. So they gave that as an example of uh, their, their London embassy. But what, it, what they've decided to do is they're, they're closing, um, and just did last week, or they've announced they're closing, the embassy in Uganda, Angola, Spain, and Hong Kong. And uh, Malaysia, they're, they're wound up about, they're fighting with Malaysia, so that one's uh, going to be closed as well. They put some do not cross police tape across the front. There was a picture. So, and they said the list is growing. And uh, as I said, they're blaming it on, on the United States and sanctions, saying that it just costs far too much money for them to, to have these missions. And uh, embassies open, and it's going to, and it's uh, a new change in their foreign policy. It says they have a very much more focused, uh, or they're having a more focused approach with relations with Moscow and Beijing, particularly um, 96.8% of their trade is with China. Wow. So, so they've decided that it's not worth it for them to have all these embassies open. And they said a lot of times these embassies are really just little spy places for them. And uh, also a place for them to launder money. Little spy places. And also uh, illicit drugs. And they talked about a number of Mm -hmm. places. They said recently, um, the Spain embassy, Spain was notified last week that North Korea would be leaving its embassy in Madrid due to, and it's in quotes, inability to develop a mutually beneficial relationship with institutions and commercial and cultural entities in Spain. And then it says, because of U.S.-led sanctions. Poor America. So, so they're Tim, closing is the picture the, that you gave me is that actually one of their embassies? That yeah, that, that one. With the grass growing up. In yeah, front that of that's that's an abandoned one. I believe one of the abandoned ones in Africa. Okay. That they left, and they said they're surprised because they had some great relations. They would take a lot of North Korean workers and build, put them in these countries to build things, so construction and and cheap labor, and then the money would go back to the state. And so they're surprised, particularly with Angola and Uganda, because they've had relationships with them for quite some time, and they can't quite figure out why they're leaving those two countries, because they actually said they do have good relations and a more robust um, you know, embassy staff there. So that's a surprise to everybody. The fact they don't have anything in the West and are closing more, nobody's surprised about. Um, but they really do think, um, as, as people in South Korea and, and the Japanese have studied, that this really is about uh, the North Koreans putting all their efforts toward Moscow and Beijing. So it was. Uh, so I just thought that was interesting that they were now closing, you know, closing these embassies. News from the Hermit Kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> there, many listeners may or may not know, but Tim and I kind of lobbied the State Department. There was a rep from the State Department. We wanted to go to North Korea. That's when Tim we were in wanted- Brazil, right? Yes, and Tim wanted to see some of the subway stations. There, there's like show things, like paradise celebration, paradise. all the different stations and subway. Yeah, stations. exactly. And the guy was like, "Oh no, 
YouTube, yeah, YouTube will never get out. We don't need that aggravating. Just, it, he immediately made it sound, after spending time with us, he's like, YouTube would immediately, <laughs> immediately. And we would never get out. That was my favorite house arrest. part. It will we'd take be... us years to get you out. <laughs> so he, he, he shit canned that idea so quick. Our heads spun. We had dreams of ph- photography in front of We're going to do the show there, right? We're going to do the show in North Korea. Well, they said that we had to, or the first stop, of course, and anybody goes to North Korea, you got to go buy the flowers and then go bow to uh, just to uh, the, the uh, King, Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-il. You have to mm-hmm. go bow, and then you're not allowed to show your back either. You got to back up. You just can't like turn around. Yeah. Okay. So you got to go through all that, and then you can't say anything. You can't take any pictures. I mean, that poor student, you know, had taken down a poster yes. that he wanted as a souvenir in the hotel and ends up, um, you know, dying. That was a horrible story. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess the State Department guy did us a favor. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine. Now, they do. there is a luxury cruise. I don't know if I posted it one time, but oh, they've started did. luxury cruises. And, uh, and that the, boat looked atrocious. Oh, but... the Chinese tourists were even, they shit canned the whole thing. The idea. They said it looked like an a little more work. tramp steamer that they <laughs> put a couple of... Boat. <laughs> yeah, they put a couple of strings of lights on it and called it a cruise ship. So. That was one of my favorite videos because the music, it set sail, they show plastic chairs and paper cups and, <laughs> and rusted, of ale. rusted yeah. toilets and tubs. Oh, the, oh, the bathrooms were, yeah. <laughs> All right, moving on to what caught my eye, which is something completely different and it takes place, it's taking place in England. Uh, being a Star Wars fan, this caught my eye. Anthony Daniels, who plays C-3PO in every Star Wars movie, actually, uh, even though he's in the robot suit, is auctioning off his unique Star Wars collection. And the reason it caught my eye, well, I'll give you a couple little things. So the pictured here on the YouTube video is the, the, the crown jewel of this collection. And it is a head, it's C-3PO's head from the movie Star Wars, the original Star Wars, A New Hope. And it's after the uh, Bantha Raiders attack Luke and 3PO because they're searching for R2-D2 and his head gets uh, like damaged. So this prop head is, uh, it lights up. It's been screen matched, they call it. That's where um, archivists look at the prop and they look at the actual film and they realize it's the same one. So it's been validated. That one item alone is expected to go for half a million to $1.15 million. It's that unique. But the thing that um, interested me the most about this was his perception of all these things. So he says at one point um, that he and his family live in a small place. He said, I've been thinking about doing this for a while, but I had no idea how to go about it. And so he hooked up with this um, auction house that specializes prop store in movie memorabilia. But um, he said that for years, he and his wife would just put things in boxes and he would say, he said, we don't have a lot of storage at home. So things were living in cardboard boxes, drawers. And we'd be like, oh, we'll deal with that later. But, and this is a little embarrassing to say, later has been 40 years. I was amazed to find the things in boxes. Our home in London is not a display case for my career in Star Wars. For the most part, you wouldn't know what I did for a living by being in the house. The beautiful head of C-3PO was in a card, was in a cupboard, and the original script from Star Wars A New Hope was in a box in the basement. So his whole thing comes down to this. He, he never displayed it. He never really intentionally collected it. And he, he compares it to like when you're a kid and you have your favorite teddy bear, but eventually you lose interest in the bear and it can right. go away. So he feels that way about all these things. And, and his favorite thing about doing this auction is that he's going to get the auction catalog, which has pictures of all of his stuff. 
And that's all he has to look at. It could sit on a shelf. <laughs> so now you see how this appeals to me on the Star Wars. Well, level? as he's standing there, though, I think that'd be a pretty cool thing to have out on your, you know, in your house somewhere as a piece I agree. of sculpture. Almost. I agree. But again, he's had it for forty years, and it was never displayed. And he has other. He he used to get toy samples that he would give to local charities and hospitals. Um, I'm surprised so, they let him keep it. So they let him keep the keep certain the, props. They did let really? some of the, the the crew and stat yeah and the actors. So now was I right uh, when you said that he wore a cost? He was actual. See, I was he was in the robot suit. Yes, the, I did. He must have been tiny. Anthony Daniels is very thin, and and when he was cast for this role, it was because he was very lean and thin that he. But he describes being on set sometimes like strapped into that suit including right. the head where they'd had to put a fan up next to him and get him cooled down and but crazy stuff like that i mean i would be claustrophobic if you put me in that robot suit but how much do you think he made he didn't do bad as no. a he was a character in every single movie so l- let's just play for a minute that he got a million bucks per movie right yeah. there's six uh, there's nine of them that now, works. and then there's yeah. a bunch of other stuff so that's not too bad right yeah, no, I often wondered if they get royalties, or I guess every deal is different, as I tell you, right? So George Lucas gave the original uh, cast additional take or royalties from the first movies, I think from Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. It was like a gift to them. That set them up. I mean, Carrie Fisher even talked about it at one point. Uh, they're very discreet about it, right. but I think they've all been pretty, pretty well, well taken care of, yeah. Yeah, wow. Okay. So the auction is uh, happening now, uh, where it actually happened. I'd be curious to see what uh, some of the prices were. But I just loved his philosophy that he could have a picture of it or a catalog and be satisfied because it just sat in a box and didn't do anything. But doesn't that appeal to my sense of uh, purging or not keeping purging? Yeah. Although I think you would have had it out on display. Uh, the head, I would have for yeah. sure. I mean, it, that that uh, and that's the one. I but you'd see why he's getting rid of that, right? Because yeah. that's the one that's going to get a half a million to one point one five. You know, and he'll get the money. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's what I would do. You'd fall off and break. <laughs> <laughs> so I know I just liked his philosophy that you know if you want if you're not looking at it, it's in a box for forty years. Yeah. Why would you have it? Like so. So he's now turning it into money and. He'll have a catalog, and so, and he said someone else who loves this movie um, is going to get a chance to own a piece of it, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah, I'd be curious to see who buys it. Yeah, curious. Yeah. All right. As uh, many of you know, uh, Deep Discount is a partner of ours here on the Focus Group, and we would love for you to uh, visit their site by going to ours, focusgroupradio.com, and clicking on the Deep Discount logo. Our favorite time of year is the site-wide winter sale, which is going on right now. Everything is on sale from books, TVs, movies, albums, games, toys. I mean, Deep Discount really has it all. And it's the fun kind of site because you're there for one thing. You end up going down a rabbit hole for another. At least I find that I do that. So um, with site-wide sale in mind, Mr. Bennett, what did you select? So I was poking around and I actually found the uh, All in the Family, the complete series available on DVD for uh $52.20. Right. There's and 27 discs in that set. Yep, 27 wow. discs and it it um for many it was uh certainly a turning point in terms of television entertainment and all the social and uh social commentary and uh kind of the the change of the the sitcom in terms of what um Norman it was Norman Lear, wasn't it? Norman Lear, yeah. Norman Lear did. And so I don't have to tell anybody about All in the Family, but I was surprised. One of there was a sidebar. Do you know how many spinoffs were from All in the Family? The Jeffersons. 
Um, right. Then there was Archie's place where he had the yeah. bar or the That's restaurant, one. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I'm not sure. Was that it? Was there only two? So or? there were seven. Seven? There were seven spinoffs, and they said it was the most ever in history. Now, they also said that Happy Days had um, had a number of spinoffs as well, but the 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 uh, the issue with All in the Family was that there were um, there were five spinoffs and then an additional two spinoffs, and they said that would not have happened without the original All in the Family. So they said that All in the Family, as a as a entity, uh, spun off seven shows. 860 episodes and more than 400 hours of network wow. television. So wow. they said it was a historic historic show for that reason. So obviously it was All in the Family, which ran 71 to 79. The Maud was a, one of the first spinoffs. Oh my God, I completely forgot about that. Okay. So Maud was on uh, from 72 to 78. And then Good Times, Oh, which was a spinoff of Maud, but if it had not been for Maud from All in the Family. The Jeffersons, mm -hmm. uh, we all know the Jeffersons live next door. Archie's Place, which after, remember, yep. Edith had died, whatever, that was on for uh, three seasons. And um, then a show I didn't know about called Checking In. Never heard of it. Which was a spinoff of the Jeffersons. It, it had Marla Gibbs, who was the maid, um, Florence, oh, okay. and um, it didn't last long. It was only uh, one year, four episodes. And then Gloria, which seemed to be another flop. Um, oh my God, I seem to vaguely remember Gloria. There was an unaired pilot in 21 episodes. It said it was an ill-advised spinoff, which featured mm. uh, Struthers returning as a title character as a single mom raising her son. And then the seventh one was 704 Hauser Street, which only had six episodes. And it was actually a black family had moved into the old Bunker's house in Queens and flipped the script so the the father was a, a black liberal man and his son was a conservative um student oh okay college, college student but and that didn't go well at all but um so on the family at uh at deep discount you can get the uh complete series for uh around 50 bucks a little more than 50 bucks 27 discs that's going to keep you occupied for quite some time Shockingly, you can't say you can't say a lot of that stuff on TV anymore. No. I, well, I I don't know. Well, it's just shocking some of the language when you hear it now, but, and some of the premises and setups. Yeah, with yeah. The, yeah I, they tackled a lot, and I yeah, I just remember I fondly remember all in the family. Great pick. I followed your advice and did something which I don't normally do, but I am so glad I did. So you know how Deep Discount has the Deep One Hundred, right? The top items that people are ordering. I was surprised to see this movie, which I'd never heard of, pop up before. And it was, and it's basically, in the, it's the deep discount top 100. It's like everybody, it was like, like number three or four. And the movie's called The Girl from Rio, and it's on 4K Ultra HD. The subhead reads, a carnival of sex, violence, and outrageous style from Jess Franco. So <laughs> it, here's the setup. In the tradition of Barbarella, you know, Jane Fonda, right. you know, and Danger Diabolique comes this swinging 60s action orgy as bisexual supervillain Sumeru, the lustrous Shirley Eaton of Goldfinger, launches a diabolical plan to enslave the male species with her army of lusty warrior <laughs> women. Sign but me when, up. Yeah, <laughs> but when Sumeru kidnaps the fugitive American playboy, she crosses a sadistic crime boss, Academy Award winner George Sanders, who who plays Eve's 
like husband to be in All About Eve and Village. He was also in Village of the Damned, and ignites a battle of sexes that will bring Brazil to its knees in more ways than one. Mm-hmm, wink, wink. Richard Wyler, the bounty killer, and Maria Rome, Eugenia, a co-star in this kinky cult favorite from producer Harry Allen Towers, who also produced The Blood of Fu Manchu, and director Jess Franco, Venus and Furs, also known as Rio 70, Future Woman, and The Seven Secrets of Sumeru, the girl from Rio is now presented in a brand new 4K restoration. So I read the description, I did a little more research, and this is I had, you know how we, you and I glom onto cult favorites. This is a cult favorite. And I, now I need to get it because I don't know why it trends to, you know, I don't know why it trended so high on the, uh, the deep discount 100. Apparently people are either discovering it or they're being told you got to buy it. So it retails for $29.99 at that deep discount. It's called the girl from Rio. Um, So it it says it's original date was 69. So it's going to be, so just that alone just tells you it's going to be one of those. You just know you're in a strap in folks. You're going back in time. (laughs) Yeah. High camp. (laughs) Exactly. uh, Go, 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 go boots uh, and mini skirts. Yeah. And the new release this week is Equalizer 3, uh, stars Denzel Washington as Robert McCall, an ex-assassin with a mysterious past, returns to action to serve vengeance for the exploited and oppressed. Uh, finding himself surprisingly at home in southern Italy, he discovers his new friends are under the control of local crime bosses. Um, I'm not a big Equalizer guy, but I love Denzel Washington. And when I saw him in this, I for some reason, every time I see Denzel Washington, I go back to a show that I loved when I was in college. Do you remember St. Elsewhere? Yeah. yeah. The hospital show. Well, Denzel, a young Den- a lot of great actors were in that show, and a young Denzel Washington was in St. Elsewhere. Different than the Equalizer 3, I admit, but <laughs> there you go. But Denzel, so I, like, I like Denzel too. So yeah. So it's a site-wide winter sale, as John mentioned. So head over to, at Deep Discount. So head over to focusgroupradio.com. Click on the Deep Discount logo. Start shopping away and take advantage of some of the amazing prices and uh, material that you'll find at the site-wide winter sale. I had chosen All in the Family, the complete series, which is 27 discs. John had picked The Girl from Rio a cult classic we need to check out. And the new release this week is The Equalizer 3. And uh, so again, be sure to head over to Deep Discount and uh, start your holiday shopping. It's upon us, right, Mr. Nash? Oh, boy. Gotta shop. Days away. I know. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got our business birthday and some shop talk about how Gen Z uh, looks at retirement. So stay with us. You're listening to The Focus Group with Tim and John. Learn more at focusgroupradio.com. Now back to The Focus Group with Tim and John. Available pretty much everywhere. Welcome back to The Focus Group. John Nash with Tim Bennett, focusgroupradio.com. That's all you need to know about us. When you're there, you can also check out uh, TFGM button. And if you're already following us on one of your podcast streams of choice, you probably get it in your feed already. That's our Tuesday podcast. So um, without further ado, Mr. Bennett, the only show in the universe that does this, business birthday time. Everyone does celebrity birthday greetings, but the focus group is the only show in the universe that celebrates business birthdays. Aside from Richard's birthday, November 15th, this Wednesday, Is it Richard's Um, birthday? Yeah, it's his birthday today. 
But it was one of these one of these dates that was difficult to find something that was uh, mm-hmm. was of interest. And I did find somebody. Uh, R. T. French uh, was born. His name's Robert Timothy French. Born November fifteenth, eighteen twenty eight. Uh, in Ithaca, New York, he died at age 64 in 1893. He died in Rochester, New York. He uh, was the founder of uh, the French mustard fame. French's the, mustard. French's no. mustard. And uh, started the company. And so, interestingly, if you're watching the video, that was the only photograph I could find I of him. I wondered about that. Which was uh, very difficult. But uh, And there was not a, believe it or not, he doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. Seriously, for something like French's mustard, there's not, right. not even the founder. So I had to go poke around, but he he went by R.T. was his name. He worked for New York Tea and Tea Spice and Coffee Shop for more than twenty years before he opened his own place, which became initially the French and Sons Spice Company. Four years later, they sold baking powder and birdseed, was what they uh, were famous for. But they said in America at that time, mustards. It was an era where mustards were really pungent and powerful. Almost, uh, it sounded like almost wasabi, like it mm. was so so um, so strong. So he and his brothers in 1893 had bought a flour mill in Fairport, New York. It burned down a few years later, so they relocated to another flour mill in Rochester, and that's when they named the company the R.T. French Company. He died in 1893, but his brothers took over the company and they took the mustard that they had developed and made a creamier product. And they sold it initially or tried to sell it at the World's Fair as a cream salad mustard, meaning that you can use it for salads. They had all these recipes to use it as a salad dressing. Now, I'm sure we've all had French's mustard. Can you imagine that on a salad? No. And just a quick question for you. Um, the World's Fair they mentioned, would that be the one in Chicago? 1904, yeah. Which came, everything came out of there, right? The whole that, world yeah, came there's out a of lot 1904. You, a lot of business birthdays intersect with things that happened or displayed there, the Ferris well, the wheel. Fair. Or, yeah. yeah, you're right. Um, as the name implies, it was originally intended to be a salad dressing. Um, <laughs> but at the World's Fair, people had begun to put it on hot dogs and hamburgers. So they went with it. And that's how they... You so know, the consumer did that randomly. Yeah, because they were doing these salads. I'm thinking of lettuce, you know, lettuce <laughs> and whatever. So, yeah. In 1926, they sold the company to J.J. Coleman of the U.K., and uh, they were responsible for products such as Lysol and Brasso in Frank's Red Hot condiment line. Mm-hmm. But they also kept a sidebar. They kept a, a side company um, as well, still at French's, which um, did the condiments, the French onions. Remember the turkey French onions? I do. Remember those? Yeah. Or the fried yeah. onions. I'm sorry. I said French fried, fried onions. And uh, so they adopted um, the French's mustard trademark in 1921. And they began advertising to the public uh, then. They were one of the first um, uh, brands to uh, advertise uh, as, a, as a mustard product. Then they went to, um, currently owned by McCormick and Company, the, uh, the Spice folks. And they said that uh, they, in certain markets, French's will still uh, market Worcestershire sauce, mayonnaise-based products, barbecue sauce, potato sticks, and fried jalapenos as well as French's fried onions. They said for many years, there was a fictitious character, I did not remember her name, Carol French, who was the face of the company, and she appeared in most of their advertising and recipe books and cookbooks. And um, she would- She was to, like a Betty Crocker, but a fake Betty Crocker. She'd help you put your luncheon together <laughs> with French's okay. mustard. So uh, happy birthday to, uh, to R.T. French. 
I, I Tim, I don't think you've ever come across this one. And I know this is a difficult day, but I don't remember ever doing this. And I just think it's a great one. And I'm amazed there's not more available historical data like the Wikipedia page or something like that. Yeah, I was surprised. And I think what happened is when the company sold several times and now it's owned by McCormick's. And I think a lot of these things where you look at founders, it's probably up to McCormick to do yeah. the page for archive, him. et cetera. Because yeah. the family's long gone, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't talk about any heirs after they'd all passed on and sold the company. So, but yeah, I was surprised. I, I tried all kinds. I found an obit uh, for him out of the Rochester newspaper, but it really just talked about his. Um, you know, mother, father, kids, wife. Yeah, sort of typical. Things. Yeah. yeah. There wasn't anything of, of real merit there other than he founded French's Mustard Company. So you got to come up with an birthday. item, John. We kind of come up with a condiment or something. <laughs> Every show, we got to come up with something. <laughs> Don't you think? I Well, hey, we're working behind the scenes on things as we Do speak. you make anything that everyone just, just swears by as the greatest thing? Nope. I don't either. Even chilly after my home ec classes in eighth grade did not meet the bar. I mean, it was okay. My mom was thrilled that I could at least do one meal a week. But uh. <laughs> our friend Lisa Fleming makes, uh, remember Lisa Fleming Brock, yep. makes the best cookies I've ever had. Well, she and Mary Trisbach do good cookies too. But Lisa does these cookies that are unbelievable. And I always thought she should be able to market those. But does I she tried, still do it? Yeah, she makes them. Just, they're, they're fantastic. <laughs> and uh, there's chocolate chip and chocolate, you know, walnut and all these cookies, and they're just really quite, quite good. But got to get her a shop. Got to get her a shingle. Maybe I'll sell <laughs> it down go, here at the beach. Got to hey, put it's it right not a bad idea. Yeah. Well, we have a lot of beach ideas. You and I were going to do. Was it the ice cream sandwiches? Ice cream sandwiches. We're going to. That's still an and idea. Was it uh, Bunky was going to do the? Uh... Do we're going to do ice cream? We we're going to do special flavored ice creams. Orange was one. Orange was Girl one. Flavor. Lemon. Lemon ice cream. I love lemon. And didn't she do key like lime? A, um, she did a key lime ice cream. Key lime was mine. That's right. She did right. a key lime with flavor. graham okay. cracker. We were going to do key lime ice cream with graham cracker crust. Cookie. Graham cracker yeah. cookie sandwiches. Ice cream sandwiches. Well, it's still time. There is. Uh, I could see on one right. of those bikes with the freezer, you know, put a little white cap, you know. Well, speaking of which, our, our shop talk is about, you know, the Gen Z and their kind of ambivalence about retirement you and i could if we figured out this ice cream thing well we'll have to for a couple for a couple of weeks out of the summer i'll ride around with a candy striper <laughs> thing and thing comes out the ice box breaks here just take it kid take it don't stop complaining it's handmade i can see it now all right so as i uh, teased the beginning of the show a uh, headline came out of cnbc their financial section, and it was uh, retirement is overrated, Gen Z says, a soft saving trend takes hold. I could summarize this pretty quickly to say Gen Z is a little bit discouraged by what they see in terms of housing prices, prices, their earning power, uh, just thing, you know, inflation, et cetera, and they're placing a lot of their eggs in the experiential basket. So they'd rather live for the moment, live for the day, and many of them actually think that they may never retire at all. I'll just say this, and I'm I'm doing a, I could do more about some statistics from the article, but that one thing there about when you're in your late 20s or early 30s and you say, I may never retire, I'm going to raise my hand and say I was one of those people too. I remember saying to my financial advisor, I'm going to be working until I'm 70 something. Mm-hmm. Guess what? <laughs> um, it is, uh, it changes, it changes. And 
I think retirement looks pretty good <laughs> at this and stage. And you might but, do something, right? You can do something, yeah. but it's 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 uh, it's something to occupy your time more than you think you're going to have some sort of career. Mm-hmm. Out of it. The uh, I my takeaway from this uh, there was there was one particular area where it said. Um, in addition to soaring food and housing costs, millennials and Gen Z face other financial challenges their parents did not as young adults. Not only are their wages lower than their parents' earnings when they were in their 20s and 30s, but they're also carrying larger student loan balances. Yep. I agree with the larger student loan balances. I'm not so sure I agree about the wages. When we got out of college during the, the recession in the 80s, mm-hmm. the wa- those salaries were not, you could not live. You had to have a roommate, right? We, we, Correct. We could, not, we could not have not have lived on those, on those salaries. You had to try to figure something out. So I wasn't so sure about the salaries. I also think the, the other takeaway for me here when they talked with one of the financial advisors was uh, at the very end when they said, just like having a healthy lifestyle, it's just about doing the right things over and over again for a period of time and having patience. And they, they talked about saving. And I... Uh, I remember when I had started at Subaru when I was in my 20s, and I hadn't taken advantage of the 401k the plan. plan. Your 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 matching, because I again didn't have the money. Right, I yeah. I I was well. trying to pay rent. I'm living <laughs> in Philadelphia. You know, you don't get paid a boatload of money when you start out in one of these you know management programs or whatever. So I needed the money to live, and so I wasn't any anything I could have. Um, you know, was helpful to me. But the, the person in human resources, I remember pulling me aside and said, you know, when you can, you need to do it as soon as possible. Believe me, you'll appreciate it later. Well, here we are 30, 40 years later. It was, you know, probably the best advice I ever got. But I remember when I was able, when I finally got a car from Subaru, because when you get to a certain level, they give you a car to use. Executive, yeah. So I remember putting aside, I would say, okay, if I was to lease a car or rent a car, or lease a car or buy a car, I'd have a car payment. So I at least saved that each month and said, okay, I'm going to pretend I have a car payment because I, I would need one if I wasn't at Subaru and save that money because you would have to have paid for a car, right? And so that actually helped me a lot as an emergency fund where I had things where either I had a dental work I needed to have done or I had something yeah. that happened where something broke down that needed to be fixed. And so I, where I disagree with this a little bit about the Gen Z just throwing their hands up and saying, well, it's a different world now. If you could save $25 a week out of your check, or you could save you know, $100 a month, whatever the number is, because we're, we're all in different stages, you'll be thankful you did it, I think. I agree. I agree. And you and I had similar come-to-Jesus moments when it comes to savings and credit cards. Oh, yeah. Because you and I put, you and I were working from very early in high school. The soonest, the earliest we could work, we began working. And that was kind of our parents like, well, if you want to drive a car, you're going to need insurance. You've got to pay for insurance. You know, like. And And the other thing thing I'll say about that, John, I interrupt you here, is we could not go to work with just a pair of khakis and a a blade. You had to wear a suit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So you had to have a nice suit. You couldn't just have one, but you needed to have have a suit. You needed shirts, ties. Right. The whole deal. So it wasn't like you were just going into work with jeans or, or khakis on and something. I mean, you had to get dressed to go to work. You had to invest in a wardrobe. Yeah. I didn't have that kind of money. No. And, you know, the like my first job out of college, I was making 17500 a year, which I thought was fine. Um, you know, years later, when I sold, uh, when I got out of my first agency and sold it to my business partner, 
I was sat down by my accountant and uh, a couple of guys from Oppenheimer and Company, and they used to be an investment company. I think right. they were bought or merged. And I had the the here's how compounded interest works. Here's how dollar cost averaging works. Here's why if you put away this years later. And it wasn't like the fear of God or anything was put into me, but it was a very concise explanation for the necessity of saving. And, and I would be like, well, what if something, you know, it, it, all these what ifs are fine, but if you do make it to your 80s, you're going to be very thankful that you have this nest egg. And so I began, I became an aggressive saver after that, right. especially after cleaning up consumer debt. I went the other way. Like if I have anything, a balance on a credit card, I freak out. If it's 50 bucks, I got to pay it right away. You know, it just, <laughs> so I'm, I'm in agreement with you. I, I think that life, this is one of those broad stroke articles that sounds fun to read. Like, hey, Gen Z is not doing any retirement savings. I'm sure there are a lot of Gen Z individuals who are in fact doing what you and I did or came to the realization we got to put money away. And in terms of what you were talking about before about student loans, this is something you and I have talked about a lot, when, especially when the Biden administration was uh, contemplating and or putting into place loan forgiveness. You and I attended schools that we paid for ourselves with student loans and yeah. with scholarship money and with you and I both had work-study jobs as well, right? Yeah. No, I remember I, I got into, um, I remember having the discussion with my mom and dad about Syracuse. I got into Syracuse and it was Expensive. a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And my mother just looked at me and said, you can't afford that. And so I had to go, you know, come up with other options. And as you said, we all had jobs through college. We all had jobs in the summer, sometimes two jobs in the summer that we worked, you know, morning and, and evening. So, but I, so I looked at this as like, oh, they want to have, Gen Z wants to have experiences and life experiences and live in the moment. And that's all well and good. We all have friends that did that too when we were growing up, right? But now you, now I know some of them that do regret it a little bit. And um, so I think if you can save it, it, um, it's important to do. And in the long run, like you said, it, uh, you'll be surprised about how it will grow. I've tried to have this discussion with my nieces. Who my one niece does have a lot of college debt, um, and but she, you know, she does have a, a very good degree and and uh, did well, but it is quite a bit of money, and it's like another mortgage payment. It's a um, burden. Yeah, it's a burden. But I don't know all of all education now. I don't know what I would do. You 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 would probably do it very differently now if you were going off to college because the idea of us going away and living on a residential campus and all the things that come with it are a luxury now, right? Because Complete. it co it costs Complete. so much money. It's a shame, really. And you know, Tim, um, you know, something that took me a while to figure out too is like, if you have student loan debt, and let's say the interest is, what is it, two, 3% that they yeah. charge on? 5%. It, it yeah. still makes sense to put money into the stock market, into, into savings, because the market routinely kicks back maybe eight to 10%. I know it's kind of weird to think yeah. that way, that you're making more by investing and saving than paying the debt down. But when the debt's that cheap, it's like having a mortgage at 3%. Why would you go pay that off? The bank is basically giving you the money. I mean, anyway, it's, it's, but these are concepts that I think take quite a while to wrap your head around. So. Yeah, well, it's like the story I told you when I thought I was going to go back to get the MBA at the uh, yep. high-powered high high Ivy, and uh, <laughs> the, the admissions person it's like, it's not worth it. It's not worth your time. At your you age. You have an MBA, but yeah. the experience. Yeah. yeah, at your age, you're not going to make that money back, and you're going to saddle yourself with a quarter of a million dollars worth of debt. Do you really want to do that? Yeah. I guess not. <laughs> so, so, hey, uh, so that was a good article, Mr. Nash. Thank you. 
And uh, thanks to all of you for joining us here on the Focus Group. Be sure to catch all of our programming at focusgroupradio.com. You'll also find our podcast there, which is TFG Unbuttoned, which comes out each Tuesday. And uh, while you're at our site, you'll also see our sponsors on the right-hand side, including Deep Discount, which has a site-wide winter sale going on right now. I had picked All in the Family, the complete series. Uh, This week, John had picked The Girl from Rio, which is a cult classic that we all need to check out. And The The Equalizer 3 is the new release this week. So uh, we hope everyone has a good week. Remember, don't text and drive, arrive alive, and we'll see you next time on The Focus Group. Take care. It's The Focus Group with Tim Bennett and John Nash. Accessible on all platforms. Subscribe, like, and rate us on your platform of choice. Learn more at focusgroupradio.com. That was a stunning focus group.